Today's episode is brought to you by Slay House Publishing, recorded at Wayne Howard Studios. Hey, guess what? It is Slay House Presents, and this is Jeremy, and with me is Trevor. That is me. That is my name. That is. It is his name. And today, we are on the last episode of our craft series. We are just about to get all the craft out. We are wiping. We did a deep cleanse we did a, of our craft. We did a colonic of our craft. Gross. <laughs> 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 it's hard to believe that this series is already over. Yeah, yeah. It feels like we just started it. Yep. I mean, I We've know we didn't. We just but, begun. You know, I just got. We were so full of craft, and and now we're now we've not gotten so the craft full. out. Yeah. Yep. I just All got. Right. I'm I'm about to get sued by some '70s like like pop. Just stop singing songs. I like to sing. I want to dance. As All my right. wife would say, like she she'd be like, uh, "Who sings that song?" And I'd say, "I don't know, Hootie and the Blowfish." Yeah. And she goes. Let's keep it that way. <laughs> All right. Well, today we're going to talk about figurative language. Go figure. Figure, figurative. <laughs> it's a figurative language. Go figure. That's when you take your words and make them a figure eight. That's, it's a figurative language. Um, I hate that. I know. It was stupid. I legit came up with it on the drive over to the studio. Oh, no. And I'm like, this will be funny. <laughs> this is the best time to test out your new material. Yeah, at least I wasn't, like, high or something. I mean, that's always that's always <laughs> 90% of the time. <laughs> yeah, I'm not high 90% of the time. Oh, wait. It's, it's, uh, it's 95. Outside of work. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm always working. I can't say that kind of stuff. I can't joke about that. Um I can't. I'm not going to joke about that. All right. So today we're going to talk about figurative language. And there are four terms I think I want to lead off with before we get into. So we're going to talk about these four terms. Then we're going to talk about some fun shit like linguistic deviation. Oh, how fun. Oh, yeah. And then we're going to talk about metaphor and then ideas of fun sentences, interesting sentences, and sentences that are boring as shit that you should never use in your writing. Okay. And... Uh, what else I do I have I'm on my notes? I'll, I'll be taking notes. I'm going to write a story that's okay. only the boring sentences. And that's that's about that's about everything we're going to cover. So the first four um, ideas. Oh, and and the idea of connotative language and denotative language. We're going to oh, talk yeah, about that a little course, bit. So with figurative language, every every good story. Well, let's talk about that first. Why do we need figurative language in writing? Because sometimes literal language doesn't convey enough idea. Yeah. You know, people are always pissed when somebody says, like, my head is literally going to explode. And then they, like, like to correct them. But they don't realize, like, Shakespeare did the same fucking thing in this plays. He, like, oh, yeah. I'm literally going to do this. And it was, like, some hyperbole. And, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean. Th- this has been around for years. But the thing is, is that even the actual uh, meaning of the word literal mm-hmm. includes figurative. Yeah. 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 So, don't like, get like pissed. It, like, like, it's. It's legitimately like part of the the word's meaning at yeah. this stage in the game. Yeah. Yeah, the thing that I hate though that I always hear people correct or that that I always correct people on is that that these ones like have you ever heard that like well mm-hmm. can you show me what uh what uh what stickers might look good for my my suitcase and they're mm-hmm. like well these ones over here and I'm like 
these and ones are like that's counterintuitive. That's like not. Yeah, but it all it like combined <sighs> together, it does work. It's like these individual like uh, stickers. So these ones. I, like speaking sure. as one as an entity, it just grates my nerves. I, I I think you're a loser. Well, that those ones over there think I'm a loser. <laughs> no, that's not what I want to talk about though. I wanted to talk. <laughs> I didn't want to talk about phrases that piss me off. Um, like <laughs> which is it, like in irregular itself, piss you off? Is it? That what, is no wait. What's that one? Language. It's not. Um, Irregardless. Yeah, irregardless. Irregardless. (laughs) Irregardless of your feelings about me. Which is not a, that's actually not a word. I know it isn't a word. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That one will piss me off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about diction, syntax, phonology, and graphology. I will take phonology for 200, Alex. Phonology? Alex is dead. Phonology? Phonology. Is that what you do when you phone a friend during the... Millionaire game? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's phonology. That's phonology. Or you yeah. play the phone game? It's the study, the yeah, it's game? the study of telephones. Yeah. <laughs> phonology. Phonology. Hit us up. What does that mean? As opposed to phrenology. <laughs> phrenology is the study of the skull, I think. It's like the, the skull's bumps for, like, personality traits. Phonology. Phonology <laughs> is how words sound. <laughs> oh my god people are gonna be like what have they been drinking before they got in there well you just admitted to smoking so yeah 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 Yeah. so well that's the only way i can talk about figurative language i have to get stoned (laughs) first you Um, have to get real you gotta get in touch with the universe a little bit good thing my jobs don't cart me you gotta approach uh what is it lacan's real i'm gonna start like when we have like a big staff for like sleigh house i'm gonna start like drug testing everyone and be like you're not stoned enough (laughs) 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 there's a line somewhere around like cocaine and meth i want you to find it go read hunter s thompson's biography (laughs) and then we'll talk let's talk about another book Um, i will never read Oh, I've read. I, I have read Hunter S. Thompson. I enjoyed Hunter S. Thompson, um, but he is he is kind of a bros. Kind it's, of a, a, it's another one of those yeah. bro downs that I'm just not, <laughs> not ready for. Um, diction, word choice, uh-huh. syntax, word order. This so is going to come. Phonology being the, the word sound. Word sound, yeah. Uh-huh. And then being being word choice. Word choice. Syntax being word order, the placement yeah. of the word. And remember yeah. when I talked about like dialects, um we did talk about dialects yeah, we last did. time. Yeah. We talked about how instead of just dropping letters and putting apostrophes in, look at right. like diction and word choice. Yeah. Look at the idioms used, regional idioms used. Yeah. Syntax um, is really important there. Syntax right? is really important the, there. The the ordering of your words can really indicate the dialect a lot exactly. better. Exactly. And and can also set your characters apart. Exactly, you know, I'm exactly. I'm thinking of uh, one very famous character whose syntax is if quite If you say irregular. Star Wars, I'm going to th- defenestrate you through the window. I was actually talking about Shakespeare. But, oh, okay, go uh, ahead. But now that you mention it, Yoda <laughs> has some very interesting syntax. Yeah, yeah, Yoda does. Yeah. I actually just, I was going in the direction of Star Wars, but I thought I'd <laughs> shake it up a little bit. I'd, I'd, I'd shake you. Didn't Shylock, speaking of Shakespeare, boots. didn't Shylock have some boots. interesting kind of syntax? And his who Shylock from a uh, uh, Merchant of Venice. If you prick us, do we not believe? Oh, maybe I don't think I've ever read uh, Merchant of Venice. Oh, my friend, 
I've mean, read like you a realize he's got like a t- he's got a lot of stuff. Though. I have read. This is how much Shakespeare I've read. I've read Titus Andronicus. <laughs> I don't remember Titus Andronicus, but <laughs> well, I that's have also the read thing. Like, Titus Andronicus. I've run into a lot of Shakespeare r- over my years. Yeah. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't remember it exactly. That's that famous. Play. That's where the famous speech is. It's from yeah. Shylock and, and Merchant this, of Venice. It's, to this uh, day, if you prick us, do we not bleed? Yeah. And then, yeah, yeah. Star Trek loves to like. I know you talk about Star Wars, but Star Trek yeah, yeah. loves to like riff on, oh, on always Shakespeare. Riffing like, on Shakespeare. Yeah. Always. Yeah. It's it's a it's a like you have to. Yeah, but you were going to mention Yoda. I was going to mention Yoda. Yeah, Yoda, Yoda as with his. That's one of the most famous, I think, version. Like, uh, yeah, most aberrations of, of, of syntax. syntax. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, it is. Uh, how would Yoda say that? Like, it is the most. What, uh, one of the the strangest aberrations of syntax. Yoda's speech is. Or, yeah, you know, something yeah, like something that, like yeah. that. Yeah, he just takes the subject and the verb and like. Yeah, he puts, just it, puts at it, the it at the very end of the sentence. Yeah, yeah. and then finally. <laughs> If if it takes us this long to get through this entire list of stuff, we are going to be here for like hours. Uh, finally, so we addiction syntax phonology. Um, phonology. I'm putting a little yeah, more emphasis on the phone part. Yeah. On the phone part. Yeah. yeah, that's the sound of At the least word you're not coming out of my. Phoning it in. I'm not phoning it in. Um, that's what I hate about Zoom meetings. Everyone phones <laughs> Everyone it, phones it in. <laughs> Oh my God. Uh, I think I used that on a pun Monday one time. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna use it the next time I I like <laughs> teach a virtual class or something. I'm really phoning it in. <laughs> and then graphology, which is uh, the study of graphs. How words look on the page. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so if which, Yoda, you know what is very important in in stuff like poetry, you know, I feel or if like you're reading House of Leaves. Or House of Leaves. <laughs> yes, of course. I've had that book on my shelf for years, and I have not attempted to fucking Here's read it. Here's the thing. I don't think anyone re- – you don't read House of Leaves. Yeah. Nobody reads that book. It is a book that you pick up and you kind of look at and you say, oh, this is wacky. Because, yeah. it, like, the actual experience of reading that book <laughs> is impossible. Yeah. The book makes it impossible itself for yeah. you to read it. The It's more about the experience and not about – the actual like reading of the book. My my the I I just looked through it enough to to mention some parts. So like, remember that page where all the words are written on the perimeter? Yes. Yeah. See, make, now you yeah. think I've read it because yeah. I, I remember that. Yeah. Or or the the page where uh, there's <laughs> like a box in the middle of the page, yeah. and the text is separate from the box with the the text in the box, and the text in the box lines up with. The text on another page. Yeah, and then the footnote. Remember that one footnote? Oh yeah, that it's like goes on. on. It's longer than the actual bit of yep. narrative on the page. Mm-hmm. The footnote goes for like three pages long. See, we read it. Yeah, it's, it's about the experience, <laughs> not the actual story yeah. itself. Yeah. Because There's no it's, fucking story there. Yeah, it's it's just a it's, love you, Daniel Lewski. I've heard it <laughs> love uh, you, Mark described as as hyperlink fiction. Yeah, right. Like this yeah. idea of just like going down a rabbit hole, and it, it's not necessarily about the story itself. But you bring up a great point about graphology, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that is a, a book that is a story that uses graphology very. Yep meaningfully in order to create an experience. But I think, too, if like if in a, a standard novel, somebody is trying to incorporate or represent, like, say, a text message inside the narrative, right. mm-hmm. graphology will help us kind of delineate Absolutely. that what that looks like versus yeah. the rest of the prose. I think of block quoting as well. Yeah, block quoting. Right? Exactly. Uh, when you, you introduce something long form from somebody else. 
uh, to kind of give it a distinctive, you know, kind of visual cue. Sure. Um, I am someone who responds really well to graphology in uh, literature, in mm-hmm. reading. Um, I know some of my favorite reading experiences are the ones that, um, like, really try to use graphology, you know, to a... a um, a real point. We've got one of those stories, I think, in um, Tales of Sleighouse 2022. Oh, we do, yes. There, there's um, a kind of a science fiction story with, uh, like, certain headers, you know, that introduce certain parts of the of the book. Yep. And I think one of the reasons why I love that story so much is because there is um, a distinct visual uh, style, if you will, for each of those headers, right? Like there's a very distinctive choice being made mm-hmm. um, to, to you know, kind of construct this new segment of the story. And yeah. I think that that adds to some of its verisimilitude. Yeah. Right? Jennifer Egan's Black Box also has some interesting graphological um, sure. formatting to, to help uh, kind of uh, showcase what she's doing with the right. story. Um but we also talked about phonology and, and word sound. Does Again, that seems like yeah. it's very important in poetry, and it is. Yeah. But it's also very important in it prose creates, fiction and nonfiction. It non-fiction. creates rhythm, it right? Does. So you, you need to know how a word sounds in conjunction with other sounds. Because as your reader is going through, you know, one of the things they're going to discover about your writing is that, you know, certain words just sound a, a certain way. And words in conjunction with one another Mm-hmm. are going to convey a, a certain style, a certain, call it a voice, maybe, mm-hmm. you know? Um, the, the the way that we read and interpret stuff um, depends on, on how it flows together as a sentence. Well, and when you, you vary the length of your sentences by using compound and compound complex mm-hmm. sentences along with very simple yeah, sentences, um, and you think about things like phonology and graphology, mm-hmm. you think about the diction and syntax, yeah. you can create... A, a very a lyrical uh, yes. tone yeah. to your prose writing. That's yeah. that's a debate I got into with some some fellow grad students back in grad school. We we talked about have, I, don't, I might have mentioned this before. I don't know, but I'm gonna. It seems like the perfect place to mention it again. Um, but we talked about you know the the standard idea the stand the understanding it, uh, most people have is that um, prose is anything that's not poetry. And mm. I pushed back on that. I said, I don't agree with that. I said, because then you're saying like Shakespeare, then you're saying like Toni Morrison with Beloved, then you're saying mm. um, Ray Bradbury's Something Wicked This Way Comes, the way he writes his, his prose is no different than like James Patterson, you know, or or just this, this very basic like kind of style of writing. And mm. I think that's not true. Um, for me, prose is the lyricism. It's mm-hmm. the poetry mm-hmm. in that that kind of mm-hmm. standard i mean you can well and it matters it does matter you, you know i i i get bored reading like the same kind of sentence all over again and the oh, same no kind doubt. of the basic like third grade level vocabulary i get bored with it no doubt i it, i mean yes i have trouble pronouncing it when it's higher than that but <laughs> that's because i read it and i don't always use it yeah don't get me wrong i think that there's a a there's a definite point to writing in a a, a, a you know kind of less complex less complicated mm-hmm. style i read a lot of uh star wars fiction uh, yeah. i don't know if you knew this 
You do? Um, I do. I have I ha- no idea. I happen to read a lot of Star Wars fiction. And one of the Why don't you tell us about it sometime? I would love to. Uh, <laughs> let's do a whole episode about my Star Wars fiction sometime. <laughs> We've done two. <laughs> <laughs> Not including all of the references to Star Wars. <laughs> you, you cut these all together. And we, yeah. you know, suddenly we have another Star Wars update. Yeah. Um, no, but I, I mean, you know, part of the, the reading journey that I've been on is I read a lot of general audience stuff and then I read a lot of like children's fiction. Mm-hmm. I can tell you right now that children's fiction is rough to get through. Yeah. And it, it's not necessarily because the stories are not compelling, but because the way those stories are written is not super compelling and i want to be clear on this too i i'm not saying that i don't like those simpler sentences i think what i had just said Correct. was what right. makes great prose is it's balancing a, yes those sentences it's about with flow it's about yes. you know the, the the variety and the variation adding to a certain kind of flow mm-hmm. and i don't think that a lot of these children's novels that i've been reading flow very well yeah again that is a stylistic choice for the audience. Yeah. You can't presume that a bunch of uh, young kids are going to read with the same fluency and gather the same information as someone of an older, more experienced reading audience. Exactly. But, but you know, I, not to, to dunk on kids and say that they're not capable of, of learning, you know. Um, I certainly was reading a lot of uh, older stuff when I was a kid. You know, I remember reading Mary Shelley's Frankenstein when I was a kid. Sure. Um, But I didn't understand half of what I I came across. So there there's there's credit. There's merit to writing for your audience. Yes. You know, but but that also means, you know, leaning back on that. That idea of convention, you got to know the conventions of your audience. Well, and I think when those when the authors write for for kids, they're writing at this basic idea that the kid is reading. You know, most kids are at this certain level of reading, and right. so this is going to be too advanced for them. Right. There, so, there is a, a level of complexity. But then there is that argument to to maybe then you don't do it all the time. You don't have that equal balance, yeah. but maybe you throw it in there like once or twice just to challenge yeah, the kid. You know, there's there's you know? something to to be said there. And I think on the opposite end of the spectrum, you know, this stuff that I find to be kind of uh, a little bit boring uh, because it's not so complex, I think there's some stuff that's too complex. Yeah. And that gets super boring for me. Yeah. Um, I, I'm probably in the minority here uh, when I say I can't stand reading James Joyce. Ah, yeah. I know that, it, that that is sacrilege. <gasps> I know there are a bunch of like English PhDs just a block away who would beat the shit out of me for saying that. But I'm going to say it. I think that the people who really enjoy James Joyce are pretending to. Because I I think it's a a pretentiousness. I think it's something you do as a rite of passage. I don't think the actual experience is enjoyable. Fair enough. That's my hot take. That's the hottest take you're going to get out of me. I even hotter than Moonfall. Uh, that... <laughs> no, Moonfall is 100% truth. My hatred for Moonfall is just based. I took a James Joyce class years and years ago, and um, we had to read Dubliners and then Portrait of an Artist as a Young Man and then yeah. uh, Ulysses. And mm-hmm. the professor was like, I'm not going to even expose you all. I'll tell you about Finnegan's Wake, but I'm not going to make you read it. Yeah. And we, you know, obviously, now I knowing what Finnegan's Wake is, I thanked him for that profusely um <laughs> i enjoyed what joyce did with his short stories mm-hmm. 
and I can see some of the argument, you know, like especially like this view, like I revisited some of that in a post-colonial class on liter- yeah. a post-colonial lit class. Um, and so I saw what Joyce was doing in some of his short stories. Oh, don't but get there's, me wrong. I'm there's, not... a, there's a definite evolution of Joyce from like mm-hmm. craft able writer to, with a, with a mm-hmm. very talented kind mm-hmm. of ability mm-hmm. into that pretentiousness. And it goes mm-hmm. Dubliners. Portrait of an Artist mm-hmm, as a Young mm-hmm, Man, mm-hmm. Ulysses, and then mm-hmm. Finnegan's Wake. It's yeah. like, by the time you get to Finnegan's Wake, he is just showing his ass, showing off. And Yeah, and again, don't get me wrong. I know there's a lot of effort in that craft. I yeah. do not want to dismiss that. I, but But is that a pleasant experience? No, it was not a yeah. pleasant experience for me. For me, I, for me, it's like if I'm studying the, if I'm looking at his craft, like just his talent, yeah. then I'm looking at the short stories and maybe portrait of an artist, some yeah. of it. But once you get into the others, yeah, it's pretentiousness, yeah. and I don't enjoy it as yeah. much. I mean, right. there are people who still follow like Bloom's like journey through Dublin. That's sure. like Bloom Day, like, yeah. and they they follow the the plot of the novel, and it's like okay, I would rather, I don't know, you know, shoot a nail through my finger. You've oh, done that. I've done that. Okay. <laughs> oh, wait. So <laughs> mark that off the bucket list. <laughs> um, so, no, but I, I get what you're saying. I do understand what you're saying. And Joyce can, you know, I see both sides of it, how Joyce can be really good. But then he's like, okay, you're just too much, Joyce. Yeah. It's like, and he admit yeah. the thing is, he admitted it. And like some of his letters and yeah. like interviews and stuff, he admitted, like, he's, I'm too smart for you. He's and, up there with, uh, for me, with uh, what's his face? The um, uh, uh, Nabokov. Yeah, he like like up there with just utter pretentiousness. Yeah. in literature. He's yeah, absolutely. Um, so speaking of pretentiousness, yeah, let's talk about linguistic deviation. Let's Ooh, talk okay. a little bit about linguistic. I don't want to bore our listeners. I mean, let's go. I mean, there is there's a ton in here. There's discoursal deviation, semantic deviation, lexical deviation, grammatical deviation. Mm-hmm. Morphological deviation, phonological deviation, graphological deviation, dialectical deviation. Yeah, I don't want to talk. All right, so let's 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 hold up. Let's pause. Yeah. Let's, yep. Just 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 a big overview. When we talk about deviation, mm-hmm. what are we talking about? We are talking about just as the word is. I mean, we are talking about mm-hmm. um, skewing. From the, I'm trying not to use the word deviate. Mm-hmm. Shifting away from <laughs> from the norm. Yeah. Right. So if I say like discoursal deviation it's like you look at the normal discourse how it's mm-hmm. like texts and mm-hmm, how mm-hmm. paragraphs and things are written mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so a deviation from that would be yeah. a shift from the norm of right i of, I've, a, a good example just off the top of my head would be austerlitz by uh wb mm-hmm. i think it's w or maybe it's wg Seabald, something like that yeah i'm not i i didn't find it to be an enjoyable book uh because i to my knowledge it gets rid of uh, paragraph structure. Yeah, it, it it's just like one ro- long running discourse, and I think that can ooh man yeah. can that wear on a person. Uh, Faulkner comes to mind. Faulkner does a it little, sound, bit. Uh, little bit. Cormac McCarthy comes yeah. to mind. You know, these are like uh, choices that are made that deviate from the norm. Uh, Cormac McCarthy with his punctuation. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, he really the gets, fact that he never gives characters names. Yeah, ca- that uh, bugs uh, the shit pu- out of punctuation me. Punctuation and then uh, capitalization. He gets mm-hmm. rid of you know a lot of that. Well, and he gets rid of a uh, just like Joyce quotation marks too. Doesn't he? All right. Yep. Yeah. He sure does. Yep. So it's like where does the dialogue end and begin, and where does it? You, you just got to figure it out know. through the experience. And you can you can read it and figure yeah. it out. Um, you can. It's but, it's not impossible. And I think some of that is like thanks to the clarity of you know what he's he's trying to establish but yeah. i also think like you know it, it, either it's going to work for you or it's not going to work for you yeah and you have to kind of determine uh you know what what you mean by some of these deviations yeah so with semantic deviation um that is usually understood as some kind of nonsense or absurdity but it can yeah, be used to evoke of, a, a psychological state yeah, or emotion. Yeah, it's, it's kind of uh, changing um, yeah, uh, changing the, the meaning of, of words together. Yeah, so uh, like when Keats said, beauty is truth, truth, beauty, That's it sounds kind of nonsensical, true. but then you look at it and it's like, no, he's, I see what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I think a little bit of uh, uh, Julio Cortázar. Mm-hmm. Um, again, with with um, Las Palmas del Diablo, the uh, blow up, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, lexical. Uh, also, Shakespeare. She was a phantom of delight. That was another one that. Sure. You know, okay. I mean, that's. Yeah. So yeah. it's just completely changing the the meaning of those words yeah. into a new context altogether. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Lexical deviation is associated with word formation. Takes a word it's out a, of it's context. Kind of spelling, right? Lexical yeah. uh, deviation yeah. would be like changing the spelling of something for a particular effect. One of the things, one of the reasons people don't understand Shakespeare's humor, and I meant to mention this a little bit ago, but I, I'll go ahead and mention it now, is because we have this deviation in. Just not just um, spelling, but also in, in phonology, how yeah. the words sound. So he might still be, even though, and I, I, I watched a YouTube video on this, and I know you're going to probably push back on this, but the guy was like a, a classically trained actor and a linguist. Mm-hmm. And he talked about, like, if you listen to the way people spoke in Shakespeare's day, it actually would have sounded very, very American because of oh, the London being such a center of 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 shipping and market and just the world kind of coming together. It's wild. Um, but there still would have been deviations in some word choices because yeah. the uh, the the words were still Shakespeare invented what? I mean a lot of our language. So much. And and part of it was because he was he you know but we lose, for sound. Right. But he was losing some of the puns are lost because he was pronouncing words um as they were, he was coming off of that Middle English kind of pronunciation. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And so what you had was, um, were these these puns or these things that we're reading and they're supposed to be funny. And if you're ever sitting in like your lit class and your, your oh, professor's yeah. like laughing at something Shakespeare said and you're like, what the fuck? It's like, yeah. change the, the phonology yeah, a little yeah, bit, yeah, yeah. change the linguistic, change that yeah. um, lexical deviation just a hair yeah. and you'll see the joke. Well, yeah, it's kind of, I mean, I'm sure I've made the joke about or, or made the comment about Don Quixote before, but, yeah. you know, there are all kinds of jokes that are stacked up in Don Quixote that we miss uh, because, you know, we no longer kind of use the same words. So like, Well, Ro- that's too lost in translation, too, from Spanish, right? Some of that is, yeah. yeah. So like Rocinante, right, his, ho- his horse. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a joke that, that you're not going to get in, in English necessarily. Yeah. Uh, Rocin is, is a hack. Yeah, and ante uh, or antes would be you know before. So yeah. the the whole joke is like this horse was a hack before it was turned into a knight's horse. <laughs> so that's you know it's like that's what's supposed to be funny about 
Rocinante is like he's an old ass horse. He's too old to be doing the <laughs> shit that, that Don Quixote is trying to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is funny. Um, what was the one I was thinking about last night? I was I was chuckling to myself as I was writing down some notes, and I was thinking about. <laughs> you know what's funny? I, was, I totally see you chuckling <laughs> as you're like putting notes together. <laughs> I, I did. I did. It was like I was like, what could be the name of a good character in like a werewolf novel? And I was like, <laughs> Renard. <laughs> um, like hair, um, <laughs> but <laughs> Palange, which is like a, a kind of coat or fur or whatever. Uh-huh. So I'm like, yeah, what if I called him like, like um, Renard Palange? <laughs> and it's like, who's the werewolf here? It's Renard. It's like wolf, <laughs> it's like, wolf fur. It's, <laughs> it's 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 like my the bad guy in my book is Guy Guy Blanc. Yeah, white he's just guy. White guy. <laughs> Uh, oh, see, see, people, you can have fun with these deviations. Right, you can have yeah, total fun with these exactly, deviations. Yeah. We do. We do all the time. <laughs> Grammatical deviation, um, uh-huh. intentionally using bad grammar. Yeah, I love uh, Flowers for Algernon, mm-hmm. I think, is a great example of this. Um, you know, the, the character uh, speaks differently, you know, thinks differently, and, and that shows up in the way that he spells words. I know uh, we've all seen this, if you've ever read... Shit. I mean, I could. I've got a reference here for this next one with Joyce, but I think the one that really comes to mind is Doctor Seuss. Um, <laughs> morphological deviations. Oh yeah. When of you course. combine different morphemes. Yeah. Why know. not? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the who's its and what's its and you know whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's brilliant. I mean, that's it, that's exactly of, what he's the doing. The thing about Doctor Seuss is he it like it flows so incredibly well. The dude's yeah. got an impressive impressive vocabulary yeah if you decide to drop that letter in the work of uh of creating your dialect or representing dialect what you were doing is phonological deviation mm, right mm-hmm. so ephesus is dropping the initial part so instead of saying it is you'd say like tis or instead sure. of saying until you'd say till yeah um sync Syncope? Am I pronouncing this right? Syncope? I think it's syncope. Syn- syncope. Yeah, syncope yeah. is the medial part. So instead of like never, you'd have ne'er. You know, that's, mm-hmm. we see this a lot yeah, in poetry. Yeah, yeah. Yes. But I do. think we do see it also in, in dialectal fiction. Um, yeah. And then ap- apocope. Apocope. <laughs> apocope is the final part, and that's aft. Um, it's It would be like aft instead of after, right? So yeah. it's the final part. Um Again, words I read all the time, and I'd never <laughs> fucking say them out loud. So there you go, people. Email me on the correct pronunciation. Like, like email it to me, <laughs> and editor at slayhouse.com. Be like, here, you jackass. Here's how you pronounce it. Give us a phone call. <laughs> Give us a phone call. Pronouncing the words correctly yeah. for us. You know. Uh, <laughs> we'll get the we'll get uh, Fayetteville's militant grammarian over here. <laughs> Transgenital. Uh, uh, yeah, we cut that one off of uh, our our interview with Karen. Yeah, what's funny is it. Yeah, her response it, was great. It doesn't uh, <laughs> it doesn't exist on the tapes anymore, but it, but we keep coming back to it. It's become part of our lore. It is. It is. That's when everyone knew Jeremy cannot pronounce words, even though he obviously knows the meaning of them. <laughs> All right, right. He just doesn't know how to pronounce them. <laughs> yeah. That would I'm be... over here, like, <laughs> just misspeaking through this whole podcast. <laughs> You're not giving me any shit. I know. Well, 
do as I do, not as I say, you know, right? Or, or whatever. Like, that's how I want to be treated. That's the golden rule. So don't give me shit for my mispronunciations because I, I don't give you absolutely shit. absolutely give you shit. Um, uh, graphological uh, deviations would, again, huh. probably be related to that. Graphology, how, the, how it looks on right. the page, you know, changing up the paragraph, yeah. making it look different. Dialectical deviations, borrowing from different dialects and trying to write those dialects. Sure. Um, and those are just a, I think that's a good overview of linguistic yeah, deviation. The many ways that you can play with language in your writing yeah. to make it special. Yep. So what is connotative and denotative language then? Oh, shit. I always get these confused. One is the actual meaning of the word and one mm-hmm. is the implied meaning of the word. Yeah. What I like to call the emotional meaning. I think of the way yeah, I keep sure. it straight is denotative dictionary. Okay. So, yeah. So the denotative language or meaning of the word or the denotative language is yeah. the dictionary definition, the okay. actual yeah. meaning of the word. Sure. Connotative language is then um, is then the the implied or the kind of emotional right. the what you feel about. You know, it's like yeah. when my favorite example of this is in Fall of the House of Usher when Shakespeare uh, or pff, fuck, not Shakespeare, when Poe po, uh, uses the term instead of just saying what like would a yellow that story be like. <laughs> uh, I don't maybe know. not so different. Uh, maybe not. Um, but when Poe uses the term sulfurous instead of just uh-huh. like uh, he's describing a light, he's saying this like sulfurous uh-huh. light yeah, fell over sulfurous. like this. Yeah, um, fell over like the this this desk or something. Uh huh. And I'm like, why didn't he just say like yellowish or yellow green or something? Yeah, well, but, that's interesting. But if you, I mean. Sulfurous gives me like it, a. It, it's so much more tangible. Yeah, I mean it implies smell a smell. It. Yeah, yeah. Then yeah. you think like it's well, very sensory. Well, sulfur is is also like brimstone, so that indicates sure, like you know, yeah. There's the, all this kind, kind of so, hellish image. So the, the actual denotative meaning would be you know of okay. something of sulfur. But, yeah. But the connotative meaning is all of those things. You know, yep. smelly, yellowish, hellish. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Great example. That I mean, that's always my favorite example, and that's the one I always give to students, and they're like, oh, yeah, I see it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah you do, yeah. yeah. I mean, you don't because it's not real, but you do see it. You do see it. Yeah. So think about stuff like that in your writing, too, because it's like, do you just want to say something like somebody's pale or that he's skeletal? I mean, it's like. Right. Correct. You know, it, it gives two different two different images it like yeah, really plays absolutely. with the senses in there and you can really yeah. dig in and grab it sensory language is so important so what i've done and a lot of people are going to probably push back on this but i've put the next several words under the umbrella term of metaphor okay metaphor for me is just like this comparison it's comparison right it's comparing two things uh, uh kind of right i mean it's yeah, i i mean i guess i man i wish i had a, a real dictionary uh uh, definition here. I mean, I've always thought of metaphor. I guess it's kind of comparison. It's a comparison, I, but it's also like a stand-in. Uh, yes, yeah. I, I feel it's it's symbolic meaning making. Right. right. It's it's yeah. something that is not meant to be taken literally, right. But figuratively, or or at least in this you know kind of uh, uh, symbolic sense. Yes. Right. And I think it was that understanding of the term metaphor that so it's not. You're right. It isn't just comparison, but comparison falls under that umbrella. Sure. Yeah. So simile falls under that using like or as when you're comparing two yeah. things you're that would I, absolutely simile is what i i think yeah. of it, as the comparison right, right. Yeah. but i think cliches are also overused metaphors well oh, cliches are overused metaphors i think yeah interesting yeah. i've never thought of cliches that way yeah i, I mean you you know you know cliche it's, has its place though 
cliche does have its place, but it's again, it's one of those things. It's like the the exclamation mark. You want to do it. You want to know how yeah. to use it. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, I, I told you about the the time that I broke up with my uh, writing class. Did you? I, I feel like I did. Tell us. Tell us here. Yeah. So you're I, in a safe space. I, Trevor. Yeah. I was I was working for the community <laughs> college, and I got I got my full time gig. Um, at the university, and I was like, uh, "Oh yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. awesome!" So I created, I created this PowerPoint. Uh, you sent me the PowerPoint too. I did, yeah. <laughs> and it, it's, uh, it was just a collection of like every breakup cliche I could think of. Um, as I, I broke up with my class, uh, it, you know, stuff like it's not. It's not you, it's me. Um, you know, stuff like that. And it was like tw- it was like twenty different slides long. Yeah. And I just would keep going through. I feel like I helped you make that PowerPoint, like, or at I least gave you some I, input. I, I feel or like something. I, yes, I feel like I sent it to you for for some feedback. It was right after he killed me off for another class. Right. <laughs> but it was so funny because, uh, like, watching the the realization dawn on my students as I just bombard them with these cliches like some of them just were like where is this going but there were a couple <laughs> a couple in the group put two and two together by like the fourth slide and they're like oh my god he's quitting it's <laughs> really funny um personification uh when an inanimate object or an animal is given human yeah, traits. Yeah, you know, I, I could totally see that as falling under the umbrella of metaphor. Yeah. yeah. Um, depersonification, which is the alternate. Uh, yeah, yeah, turning something kind of human or, or with human elements into something completely inhuman. Or giving a, yeah, giving a human or, inhuman. Or taking away the human agency. Yep, yep. Yeah. Uh, we've already talked about simile. Synecdoche. A part is made of representative. Synecdoche. Synecdoche. I know I'm pronouncing that right because Curtis taught me that. Curtis Harrell. Yeah. Hey, Curtis. Uh, a part may, is made to represent the whole. So Chicago won the Super Bowl. We mean, you know, it wasn't the whole city of right, Chicago, yeah. it was, which hasn't happened in right, years, right. folks, I know. <laughs> um, but it's the Chicago Bears, right? right. So, the or, Bears. <laughs> the Bears. The Bears. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> metonymy. Um, a thing or object is represented by something closely associated with that thing or object. So if you said, like, the White House will make a statement tonight, the fucking it's, house is right. not going to make the that, statement. It's not the actual house. It's yeah, it's person. somebody who's sure, affiliated okay. with it. All right. Um, and this is really... Um, you know what? There's a great story yeah. that deals with all of these different, uh, like, metaphors taken literally. Yeah? And uh, I believe it's by Philip K. Dick. I was going to say, is he going to say Star Wars? No, it's not. For once in my We're life. We're going to do a Twitch and just place live action <laughs> bets on when Trevor's going to bring up Star Wars. <laughs> it's like it's like one in four conversations for me. <laughs> Philip K. Dick. Yeah, it's Philip K. Dick. He okay. does he does this great story. I'm pretty sure it's Philip K. Dick where he, where he talks about um, how uh, terrifying a book is because this book is given to an alien civilization and they they're just mortified by it. Um, and I think that's the story. I, I'm vaguely recalling this, but anyway, the 
the whole joke is is that uh, they take everything super literally, and so all of the figurative <laughs> language uh, just just paints this like terrifying picture. I mean, it really kind of does. Yeah, it's you know stuff like his heart was broken, and they're like, "Holy, Holy shit. shit!" You know, it's like <laughs> stuff like that. It's really really clever. I wish I knew the the title of the story. If you and know sh- the title of the story, folks, email us at editor at yeah, send, com or send, contact uh, us on Twitter. Send us out uh, a letter. We, we never get letters from you guys anymore ever since jeremy like pissed off the last guy yeah i know you know well i know and then we pissed off the the golden uh, order, the yeah, hermetic order the golden yeah, dawn yeah i wonder if that's looming over anything probably it's probably like impacting everything we do now like we love you guys we'll we'll come worship with you soon right um <laughs> <laughs> Just don't, just don't ban us anymore, okay? <laughs> We're sorry. Don't cancel us. We'll play, be- we'll play we'll, nice. We'll be better. We swear. Um, have you ever heard of the reference code? I, I don't. Uh, you know what? You're gonna tell me about it. I am. And maybe I'll know of it. When a writer or narrator makes an appeal to like a universal truth, you know, so if they say something like "It's known to all men who," oh, sure, okay. you know, something like that. So that's since just a reference. Since the dawn of since time, since the dawn of time, every yeah. single essay starts that way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't do yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, essays that start like yeah, that. Yeah, like... so many kids are like, <laughs> "Since the dawn of time." No, as you may know, stop, bro. Or when they ask you a question, like I was sitting in on like a. a, a teacher like meeting on that and we were like brainstorming like different ways like to correct kids and uh-huh. and somebody was like I hate it when they ask me a question like a rhetorical question like <laughs> don't you hate it when and it's I'd be like no F <laughs> <laughs> doesn't bother me at all you fail it's the danger of uh, uh, you know what I've I've said that to many students I'm like be careful when you talk about the you because the you you may be talking to may not feel the same way yeah. imagine the you that you're talking to is a serial killer <laughs> Do you really want to ask a rhetorical question to the serial killer? <laughs> they might enjoy it. <laughs> right, right. All right. So the last thing I want to talk about are, and I got this. I I I got this when I was in grad school from one of my professors, and I don't know where my professor got it from, so I don't know how to reference the original source, but I feel like this is really brilliant. This and it's, is this is real uh, folk craft over here. It's. Examples of exciting and examples of boring sentences. Sure, I'll go with that. So, I you know what? I've yeah. not heard these sentences before. I'll tell you if that's an exciting sentence or a boring sentence. Well, the sentences themselves aren't exciting. Oh, aren't exciting. It. They're just referencing. I, thought, I like, thought you were giving me like examples. Of so, exciting if a sentence, sentences. if a sentence has uh, gives you an exception to everyday life. Right. Okay. You know, then that's, that's an exciting, an in, that's an exciting, exciting sentence. sentence. If yeah. it provides an understanding about the distance between who a character thinks she is and who they really that's are. That's an exciting sentence. Yeah. If it provides an understanding about the distance between who other characters think a character is and who that character that's actually is. That's an exciting is. sentence. Yep. Uh, if it shows truth about a character that, that isn't true anywhere else or that you can't find anywhere else. Okay, that's an exciting yep. sentence. Um, it surprises a reader by describing something that they already knew in words that never occurred well, to them. surprises are always exciting. Yeah, if it asks a question or answers a question. Okay, well... It depends it, on the question. You know okay, you, it, sure, yeah, yeah. That's, that can be exciting. If it provides a surprising particular combination of words that have never encountered each other in a sentence ever in the history of the English language. Whoa, that's... You holy can do shit. that. I'm pretty sure there are like a thousand monkeys that have already done it. Yeah. 
uh, boring sentences. And here, here, here I'm going to actually take this on the, the nose a little bit. But uh, it says here, like, character physical descriptions. I feel okay. like... Okay, those are kind of boring, but also sometimes necessary. If if you can take it in a new direction. Like, if you, um, yeah. if you tell me the grandmother has, like, pink hair, you know, like... Yeah. like punk pink hair like, I feel like it, that would be interesting to me yeah. but if you just tell me like this blonde is like walking up it's like you know I again I I'm gonna come down on the side of like I don't think that ex- effusive yeah to use a word effusive description I find incredibly boring if I had to pronounce that folks it would have been effusive no but I, I you know I, th- I think that level when it's it's just too dense I'm out I yeah. don't care yeah. give me a cursory overview and let me fill in the rest of the details here's the thing though with these rules they yeah. can't see me on the podcast air quoting rules yeah. um but rules, I'm air quoting again. They're not hard and fast. Use them as you will. Yeah, and break them when you can. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. No, like yeah, scenes definitely. that start with somebody waking up, it's supposed to be a boring sentence. It's like, you know what, though? You could make it interesting. You though. can make it interesting. You can. Um, so not always. Physical, I will agree. By the way, Physical... stop knocking out your characters, please. Yeah. I'm so tired of the trope of they, yeah. they get knocked out and they wake up somewhere weird physical action with no consequences i he backed away from the door and sat down if i read that i'm like so the fuck what what does this have to do with the fucking story sure where's the emotional beat there yeah yeah the word love uh well i mean again it's contexted at everything yeah but if it's just you have characters going i love you i love you I love you. I love you. Okay, but that but could, love is that love is love is love 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 love. That could be interesting if they say I love you, but they don't actually love each other. Or if they say it and they have like a gun to the other yes, person's head. Exactly, guns yeah. make everything exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Joyce needed more guns. Joyce needed way more guns. <laughs> I would watch. I would read that book way more if if it were like, oh man, with the Dubliners, we also shoot each other on Tuesdays. <laughs> <laughs> I could make like an IRA joke here, but I'm not going to. <laughs> like, <laughs> has it been long enough? Are the IRA uh, funny yeah, now? Yeah, they are. Yeah. They're super um, funny. You know, and this is like, like the Basque country. They do the same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. We're in Arkansas. I mean, they have guns here. I mean, like, everybody's got yeah, yeah. yeah. My dog has a gun. My dog has a gun too. My dog's got a gun. We went out shooting. My dog's strapped. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Descriptions that have nothing to do with the character's internal states. That goes back to that objective correlative idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're totally right. Uh, And then in fiction, and I've heard this a little bit, but but I have to. The more I think about it, and the more it kind of plays on me. When the professor said this, I was like, you know, I. I, I don't I was like I don't know if I agree with it but again and again this can be judicious like when you use it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but the whole idea of like the characters holding back when they should be confronting each other I like I like I understand when moments when it needs to happen but then also I think this is fiction let them just fucking have it like I would not necessarily say things to somebody especially that I'm I have a, a yeah. relationship with family friend whatever one of the things that I find frustrating about characters in a lot of books yeah is like there are characters who are ostensibly quite intelligent and yet 
like they don't fucking tell each other anything. Yeah. Some of that is is convention, right? Like a sitcom only works so long as your characters just really don't communicate on the same level. Yeah, when they're like talking past each other. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and I, I agree th- with I that. I think that can be very fun sometimes, but there are be. also a lot of times when uh, characters are are uh, like not telling each other things mm-hmm. when really just like just fucking. Just fucking like communicate. It's cheap. It just feels like cheap uh, conflict. Yeah. I don't like cheap conflict. I mean, that is the the sitcom trope. It is like 25 minutes of them talking past each other, not listening to each other. And the last five minutes, they're like, oh, here's what I meant. Oh, here's what I meant. Oh, yeah. We could have resolved this problem (laughs) if we had just like, you know, shared uh, some, some actual information right 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 i feel like when it works really well for me that the characters not sharing information or mis uh, like misinterpreting each other mm-hmm. i i feel like what what works for me is like why is your character not sharing information yeah. what like what is the disconnect there and by withholding information or communicating information in a way that it isn't understood what's your character's motivation for that yeah, yeah. You know, because otherwise they just sound stupid. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Or they sound unintentionally like the Marx Brothers. But I love, <laughs> I love okay, the but fucking that's a Marx good, Brothers. That's a good use. Of <laughs> <laughs> like the whole, uh, what is it, Duck Soup? And they're like, I uh, love it's Duck like, Soup. He's the, that's one of the best He's the president of the whole nation. <laughs> and he's like, yes, we yes. got to, in order to get the tanks, we have to get the taxes. And he's like, I have an uncle that lives in taxes. <laughs> we have to raise the carpet before we raise the taxes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I love stuff like that. And they're just like so back good. and forth, just so fast. It's, I mean, that was, it was great, brilliant. Yeah. Fucking yeah, yeah. brilliant. It's great. Laurel and Hardy, of course. Also. Laurel and Hardy, too. Yeah, yeah. L- look, the, the point of bringing all of this stuff together is to is, bore you to tears. No, it's, it's like, again, <laughs> I feel like for me, the, the, the refrain, the constant refrain of yeah. this craft um, period or, or this series of craft is, is uh, you know, your, in, your, your choices matter, right? Yeah. So make choices, make deliberate choices in your craft. Yeah. And and think about the choices you are making when you create something and consider whether or not that is going to add to your story, to augment your story, to hook your reader into your story. Exactly. And and if your choices are not quite working out, make different choices. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk briefly here at the end just about revision. And revision was something that I used to hate. Because yeah. I always wanted to get the story down perfect. Yeah. And I thought, if I get it down perfect, I never have to revise. Yeah. But I feel like I feel like revision has allowed me to escape the other side of that double-edged sword, which is if I'm trying you to make it perfect. You commit to getting it done. Yeah, I think that's the biggest cause of writer's block is yeah. because we're worried about how perfect about it it's getting perfect. on the page. Just get it on the fucking page. Yeah. Then, after you're done with the story, put it down. Put it away. Work on something else. Read some stuff. Yeah. Work on other it. things and come back later and then look at it with fresh eyes. Even better, when you're done getting that first run through, Yes. get some eyes on it. Yeah. And get someone you trust. Yeah. You know, someone that, that 
you can trust to be real with you, to give you like the like no shit uh, kind of approach. Don't go on Twitter and ask for, and look for somebody <laughs> you don't know who's another like you know burgeoning writer right, and be right. like, will you look at my manuscript for me? And they're like, hey, this is really good. Yeah, sure. I'll send me your manuscript. I'll look at it. And they're like, yeah, they just copy it. Yeah. No, like get someone you trust yeah. uh, and, and someone whose voice you trust and and talk them, you, you know, talk to them, talk yeah. them into reading your stuff, get some honest feedback and then work on the result. I've done yeah. that with you, Jeremy. Yep. You know, I trust your voice in fiction. I trust your eye to point out stuff when it works and when it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And so when I I know when you tell me, hey, this is something that needs some attention i know to give that attention yeah i also know i can trust when you tell me this works i know it works yep and if you and that you know if if you write outside of your your norm and you you do Mm -hmm. and you should actually include characters whose voices aren't necessarily just your own you know yes um Get some people who are in that. Oh, sensitivity readers yeah. are so important. And the reason isn't because you're trying to be like, oh, well, I mean, maybe you are trying to be politically correct. But the whole point is to, be, you know, make your story more authentic, make your story better, make your story more appealing mm-hmm. to people. Yeah. Right. That's the, the job of a sensitivity. And make reader. sure you're not just checking a box. Yeah, you know? exactly. I hate tokenism. Yeah. Tokenism is not there's I, no place for it. I will. I will come and. And I will fork your lawn. Here is the most important thing I've learned about fiction. Um, And it is a stat that I used to have, and I don't have it anymore because I I haven't taught this in a long time. Um, But of all the types of of literature that's out there, nonfiction, poetry, Mm -hmm, whatever, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, fiction is proven in studies to allow us to, to show greater depths of empathy Mm, because when mm -hmm. you're reading fiction you are stepping into the shoes of other voices and other people and and gathering a a story from their perspective and getting a story from their perspective Mm -hmm. um so you need to be they're not just doing that because they're you know they're they're doing you know they did the same thing you're doing so yeah so get those sensitivity readers get those other voices and really explore what you can do with your fiction and really make it interesting and moreover i'm a you know i'm a reader i i love reading things Mm -hmm. so i i'm always encouraging like read outside your box yeah read stuff that you don't think you have any interest in i know that's hard to do because we have a limited time on earth but really, your craft and your writing can benefit from reading outside of your normal purview. Yep. I think um, you know, fiction can offer a lot of stuff, and and different kinds of fiction can offer um, a, a wider perspective, right? So, yeah, I mean, I I've recently uh, started dabbling in romance, uh, which is not a genre I've ever read before. But part of the reason why is because I want to understand character and character interactions a little bit better. Sure. So I look at that stuff. You know, I like to read. I've been reading some literary fiction for interesting turns of phrase because yep. I think that um, part of, of uh, building up your prose, you know, is, is exploring how things can be written differently, you know. 
Here at Slay House, Trevor and Karen and I and Lillian and mm-hmm. yeah. everyone who's jumped on board with this and is, is kind of helping this make this, you know, be a thing. Yeah. Um, we love good literature. You know, oh, we are yeah. not just a genre publisher. We're not just a horror publisher. I like good stories. We want good craft, well-crafted, good literature and that can be done with any genre it doesn't have to be this highfalutin jonathan franzen kind of stuff yeah it can be anything yeah fuck jonathan franzen uh no i mean not literally (laughs) i mean figuratively figuratively Figuratively, just like this episode figurative language (laughs) um Hey, I like Jonathan Franzen. I like the corrections. I've got know. several of his books. I can't on, see I've ever read him. So uh, on his on the shelf, um, I, 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 I there is a place for me for for that kind of writing. I mean, hell, I talked to you guys earlier this year about reading Camus. I mean, oh, yeah. I I can Camus name great. drop some of the 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 best authors out there with anybody. You know, I can, sure. But um, but you know, this isn't. This isn't this kind of level of craft isn't reserved for those authors. I mean, oh, no, absolutely. in genre fiction, we can do the same stuff, no, and they I are know. doing the same I, stuff. I mean, how many how many times when we're talking about this stuff have we dropped uh, names of authors that I think you should be reading? You know, yeah. I think you should be paying attention to. And you, not to toot my own horn, but I kind of do this in some of my own writing too. Oh, sure, I mean, yeah, absolutely. A no mindful of scorpions. I know what I'm. You know, I. Yeah. I labored over that book. I know yeah. exactly, and I labored I, over the next books that, that are coming. I think that book is also really different from uh, the churchyard story. Oh yeah, you know, I I think that um, which that's not the name of that's the not the name book, of it. It's yeah. just what we've been calling it behind the scenes. Yeah, um, I think it's very different from uh, uh, you know I haven't I haven't read the draft of of uh, uh, Mindful of Scorpions too. Yeah. Um, but I know I've heard the ideas you've been kicking around and I know that's going to be very different from the first one too. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of variety in your writing for sure. Um, so, and, and the people that we've published, I think, and not just me because I, you know, this is Slay House is more than just me and I think we've proven it Uh, by and large, but everyone else we published, their writing is indicative of this kind of attention to detail in this and some of them, I'll admit, some of them aren't even aware. Some of them just kind of happened into it. But when we read it, you know, some of them are very aware. Some of the authors are like, I know exactly what I'm doing. Other mm-hmm. authors are like, well, I've just read a lot and mm-hmm. they haven't actually had the schooling. But we it's can totally recognize fine. that craft within them and help Honestly, them. Honestly, it, it doesn't matter. You don't have to have a, a crazy education to be a good writer. No, read a lot. Read a lot. And, and listen and to our work, podcast. And work on your stuff. Put in the effort to grow and you're going to do fine. You're not going to be the same writer tomorrow as you are today and that's the whole point right the whole point of this whole discussion isn't to just transform you but but to to show you like here's an introduction to your journey you can learn you can grow you want to be a turgid writer (laughs) turgid writer (laughs) what I don't know I was pulling from your romance Uh, (laughs) like the romance uh, books you're you're reading (laughs) what a weird word uh all right, folks. Uh, that's all we have to say about that. Today's yeah, episode was brought so. to you by 24-Hour Engine Repairs, uh, Never Tire. Listen, they do good work. <laughs> uh, I've got to come up with more of these. Um, never Tire. <laughs> yeah, it's engine repair only. I'd call, and them, 24 hours. I'd call them the engine cranks. 
<laughs> if I if I were a twenty four hour, yeah, okay. Well, well no, if it's if it's lawnmower repair, then they're the crank anchors. <laughs> <laughs> uh, folks, we just need a bunch more of these. Um, or we actually need, like Trevor said last episode, we need real sponsors. So we, if you want to take a, if you want to take a chance on us, do, do we cut them in how? <laughs> do we cheat them in how? Well, do we cheat? But do we cut them in how? That's yeah. uh, that's, that's the butcher. No, <laughs> that's, that's the, the butcher. butcher yeah. <laughs> or my gardener. Yeah. Yeah. But the butcher could also, the neighborhood butcher could also be like, nice to meet you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, man. man. Okay. All right, folks. <laughs> this has gone off the rails. Um, it always goes off the rails. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Unlike our train. Off the rails. Off the rails. Train, tra- service. train service. You know what? There's a market for that right now, I hear. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. We've really, yeah. All right. All right We're bye. ending it. We're Goodbye. ending it. We're ending it.